Thanks for joining us on Chicago Tonight. I'm Paris Schutz. Here's what we're looking at. I dare say we know our system better than most people who criticize us. CTA President Dorval Carter pushes back on critics and vows to restore bus and train service to pre-pandemic levels. Taxpayers' dollars are uh, precious. Governor Pritzker says he's reluctant to use taxpayer money on new stadiums, so state lawmakers are here to share their thoughts. And Chicago taxpayers spent at least $74 million on police misconduct lawsuits last year. That and more from our Spotlight Politics team. And now to some of today's top stories. More confusion on the Bring Chicago Home primary ballot question. The Chicago Board of Elections is appealing a judge's decision invalidating the question. The agency says it should not be the defending party on the case. That's because it has no role in creating the policy in question here. That's the city of Chicago's job. The lawsuit was brought on behalf of real estate interests that opposed the referendum, asking Chicagoans whether or not they want to hike taxes on property sales over a million dollars to fund homelessness programs. Question for now will still appear on the March ballot, but results will not be tallied unless appeals to overturn the lower court ruling are successful. Opening statements today in the murder trial of Chicago police officer Ella French's alleged killer. 23-year-old Imante Morgan is charged with murder and several other felonies in connection with the killing of French and the wounding of her police partner after they conducted a traffic stop in 2021. Prosecutors showed jurors footage of the shooting and its aftermath from body cameras French and two other officers were wearing. But Morgan's defense team argues the cameras didn't actually capture who killed French. For a recap of today's proceedings, you can go to our website. Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart is leading a new campaign to remind the public about the state's red flag gun laws. The sheriff says the campaign is meant to inform the public that they have the right to file a firearm restraining order against family members or cohabitants who possess guns and are deemed a threat to themselves or others. The campaign will include a series of billboards like you saw there. And the sheriff says so far the red flag law has led only to the recovery of around 100 firearms thus far. This is something that can be easily accessed by family members in the house, um, a ex-spouse, a, a roommate, and obviously law enforcement can as well. So this can be done when you're trying to protect your loved one. The calendar might say February, but the forecast is more like late spring, and it's kind of a scary forecast. After today's unseasonably high temps near 70, the National Weather Service has issued a tornado watch until 10 p.m. tonight. The area is also under the threat of potential hail and severe thunderstorms. That'll be followed by massive drops in temperatures, where tomorrow's high will plunge to a measly 28 degrees. Get those winter jackets back out of the closet. Up next... Do stadium subsidies have any chance in Springfield? That's right after this. Chicago Tonight is made possible in part by the Alexandra and John Nichols family, the Jim and Kay Maybe family, the Polk Brothers Foundation, and the support of these donors. We know by now the White Sox are reportedly asking the state for upwards of a billion dollars in public financing for their gleaming new plans in the South Loop. But Reinsdorf's request seems to have opened Pandora's box. The Chicago Red Stars women's soccer team now want in on the public subsidy game. And Crane Chicago Business reports the Cubs want $30 million in taxpayer dollars to boost security around Wrigley Field. Let's not forget the Bears and their plans for a new stadium either in Arlington Heights or 
possibly in Chicago. Governor J.B. Pritzker seemed to call a timeout on the public subsidy palooza. The taxpayers' dollars are uh, precious. And the idea of taking taxpayer dollars and subsidizing the building of a stadium uh, as opposed to, for example, subsidizing the building of a birthing center, just to give the example, um, does not seem like the, you know, uh, the stadium ought to have higher priority. So this was the governor yesterday, and we've got our own team of state lawmakers here to give us their thoughts on public subsidies for stadiums. Democratic State Representative Cam Buckner, whose district covers several near north side and south side neighborhoods in Chicago, including Soldier Field, I believe, correct? Okay. Rosemont Mayor Brad Stevens, who also serves as a Republican State Representative, and Democratic State Representative Mark Walker, whose northwest suburban district includes Arlington Heights. We're glad to have you guys all here. So let's start with uh, Jerry Reinsdorf's visit to Springfield last week. Representative Stevens... The governor says maybe, you know, these taxpayer dollars are precious, but Reinsdorf's history of getting the taxpayers to build his stadiums is also precious. Uh, what did he say in this closed-door meeting? Um, he, he was very, uh, you know, close to the vest, um, talked about what the plan was for the development, the entire development, um, and really wasn't specific about how much and of, of which of that bucket the TIF dollars, the, the, over, the potential for the overlay, and, uh, again, the, the 2% hotel tax that's already in place. So that overlay you're talking about is he wants a tax, a sales tax overlay district where the money would be diverted to the stadium instead of to the taxing bodies. It was my understanding that it's a backstop if there was a shortfall in uh, achieving the debt service. What did you think of the financial part of this? Is the state uh, going to go for it? You know, I think that it's way too early to talk about. There wasn't enough uh, information that was provided to us. It's just we're going to we want to have the um, ability to access these funds and really no down and dirty numbers yet. Representative Buckner, you were on hand to greet uh, Reinsdorf when he arrived at the state house. What else do you want to hear from him? I think, as Representative Stevens said, it remains to be seen what the details of this uh, what they look like. Um, we know we're hearing numbers like billion dollars here and a million dollars there. Um, pretty soon we'll be talking about real money when you put it together, right? Um, but, you know, as we find ourselves uh, solely situated within this uh, stadium hunger games in, in the state and the city right now, I think it, what the people deserve to, to do is, is hear from these organizations and from the state legislature and the governor's office um, what we're willing to do, what it looks like, um, and what these final numbers are, right? We can't just talk about it uh, in the abstract. We need some real solid um, numbers. Representative Walker, do you think this is uh, Reinsdorf's maybe opening shot here with the hopes that maybe lawmakers come meet him in the middle on some kind of plan? I don't think there's enough detail to know what his position is right now. What I want to hear from him is a statement that this is the economic benefit and the benefit to the communities and protection of local businesses, investment in housing, that kind of thing that we always ask for in these projects now. Um, I'm looking for that kind of payback to the public before we consider giving them anything. And, and Representative Stevens' related Midwest did throw out some numbers, projections of it's going to boost the economy by this much. Uh, but then you have people like Alan Sanderson at the UFC who says usually you should uh, take that with a grain of salt, those projections. Did they say anything about the economic benefit? No, they really talked about it's an overall $9 billion project. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a self-proclaimed development geek. I like to see this stuff and see it to fruition and see if it really pays off. I've always come from the school that you have to under-promise and over-deliver. And again, to provide any type of subsidy, we, we've got to make sure that there's long-term benefit for the taxpayers. 
what do you think a win-win situation looks like for the taxpayers and the White Sox here? We've got some room, some space to figure what that out, figure out what that is. But I want to be very clear about the fact that um, the Illinois uh, legislature and Governor Prisker have really uh, done a, a yeoman's job of, of moving the state into a financially more uh, stable position. Right between the nine credit upgrades and the six balanced budgets. Um, we cannot walk backwards on that. We can't go backwards. And so I think Representative Stevens, I mean, Representative Walker is absolutely right. What does this look like for the people of Illinois, the people of Chicago? This can't be a rehashing of 1990 or 2001. We're in a new day and age, and we have to act appropriately. Well, they, they created the Illinois Sports Facility Authority just to offer the public financing, and that is coming from that 2% hotel tax, which uh, Reinsdorf wants to extend. Is that something that lawmakers are open to? I think we have to have those conversations, right? Um, you know, we, once again, we're talking about these, these dollars in the, in the abstract, uh, but I think most folks have been very clear about the fact that uh, if there's going to be public money spent at any juncture, that it has to make sense for the totality of the circumstances for the people of the state of Illinois. We cannot leave taxpayers on the hook. All right, uh, Representative Walker, the Bears uh, bought that big property of land. Right. We're moving on to the Bears here uh, in Arlington Heights. Uh, they're disappointed that, uh, that it's not uh, valued or assessed lower so they can cut their property tax bill. Is it looking kind of gloomy for their prospects of, uh, of building this big grand facility they want to build there? I can't speak for them. But I, I'm, I think it's looking pretty positive. They made an investment. The, the property is, is big enough. It's big enough for the whole loop to fit into. It can have commercial and residential and sports development. And we're close to an agreement. Now, I believe um, Kevin Warren when he says he's fallen in love with Chicago. I understand that. I do fall in love with Chicago. And I believe him when he says he's looking at all his options. So I, I don't believe this is some kind of negotiation tactic. I think he's weighing the pros and cons. And Kevin Warren, the president of the Bears, the CEO, weighing right. just like uh, we don't know GM Ryan Poles. Does he love Justin Fields or does he love <laughs> Caleb Williams in the draft? So it's kind of the same thing. They, they all don't know yet. What is interesting to me is just this period, they said, let's hold off a little on talking because we have a, a couple of higher priorities to figure out, mm -hmm. meaning you know, the draft and, and our management. So, so yeah. But, you know, Representative Buckner, you wrote a column saying you really want the Bears to stay in Chicago, to go in the south lot, south of Soldier Field. They are reportedly considering that. You mentioned a possible public-private partnership might, might be uh, an option, but would that involve public financing? I think it's, it's possible, right? I mean, you have to look at what's left in the ISFA uh, kind of bonding space. I've always said that I thought it would be interesting to talk about whether... Uh, McPeer or MPEA uh, could have something to do with, with a landlord situation. So this is there. the quasi-public-private agency that owns Navy Pier and McCormick Place. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so there's some options there. Uh, but, but as was previously stated, I think that the Bears are kind of weighing to see where things are. But I've been very clear about this. I want the Bears in Chicago. I think one thing that's super cool about our city is that all of our sports teams play within the city limits. Uh, and I've said this before, Paris, I'll say it again, that if the Bears have decided they want to remain married to the city of Chicago, they've got to stop dating other cities. Other cities like Arlington Heights, attractive other cities. I love it, but yes. <laughs> All right, well, so we got Arlington Heights versus Chicago here. Brad Stevens, you're kind of like geographically right in the middle. Where do you fall down on, on the Bears? Well, I, I think that what's got to happen is they've got to make their pitch. We haven't really seen anything that's really rock solid yet. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one way I like to see it out in, in Arlington Heights because I think it's a great 
uh, parcel. It's got better accessibility by roadways. Um, but then again, I, I believe what uh, Representative Buckner said. They're Chicago's team. They, they need to be in Chicago. So it's a toss-up. And, and one thing I want to just uh, mention is that the White Sox are not looking to extend the hotel tax. The hotel tax, from what I understand, is there in perpetuity. That money is going to continue to go to the Sports Facilities Authority. So it's a, it's a matter of extending the bonding authority, the bonding authority. for the, the Sports Facility Authority. Although the hotel tax, if it falls short like it did in COVID, then... Other taxing agencies like the city of Chicago have to sort of pick up the slack, which they've had to do in, in certain years. What about the Red Stars? Now they want in on, on the game well, for a know, new stadium. I'm a Red Stars season ticket holder. Wow. I love women's soccer. I think they play soccer in certain ways better than the men do. Um, we'll see. You know, right now they're getting about 4,000 average attendance. I'm not so sure what they believe their future needs are going to be. I don't see it in a 60,000-seat stadium for sure. Where do you think... Uh, they might fit. I'm going to let uh, Mrs. Ricketts tell me where they want to go. All right, so so predictions here. Is some kind of White Sox package going to happen by the end of this uh, spring session? I, I don't see that happening. That's a, that's a short period of time, and there's a lot of unanswered questions. Um, and let's not forget, this is an election year. Representative Buckner? We'll see. Uh, I'll never say never. I know Springfield can operate very quickly uh, when it needs to. Um, but we'll, we'll see what the appetite is uh, for it in this current space. And you've got that little thing uh, called the budget uh, that you have to deal yeah. with, too. Yeah. I do think the Bears are, are close, and they require much less state money in their proposition, much and that's more interesting. local money. It's interesting. Maybe they let Reinsdorf go first with his big uh, billion-dollar ask. All right, that's all the time we have. Up next, the CTA president faces some critics at City Hall, so please stay with us. CTA riders, listen up. The agency's president, Dorval Carter, says it is working to restore service to pre-pandemic levels with improvements to bus and rail schedules starting in the coming weeks. That announcement comes amid continued criticism of his leadership as the transit agency struggles to draw riders back and improve reliability. WTTW News reporter Nick Blumberg joins us now with more. Nick, uh, the CTA president's been hard to find in recent years. Where was he today? Well, that's the idea behind an ordinance that was passed last year, actually, that now requires Carter to attend quarterly hearings in front of the city council's transportation committee. That's where we heard from him earlier today. Now, as we're starting to get back to those pre-pandemic service levels this year, he says that process is going to begin in the coming weeks with new bus and rail schedules. He says it includes a planned 44% hike in bus service. Now, that comes after a 2022 schedule change was announced that was to reflect the service the agency could actually provide with current staffing levels, though they were adamant it wasn't a service cut. And staffing has been a problem uh, for many years, at least since the pandemic. So where do things stand now? Well, Carter told Alder people that last year the agency hired more than 1,000 bus operators, the most ever in a single year. But data obtained by WTTW News shows a net decrease in train operators last year. That's been the focus of the agency's recruiting efforts lately. One catch is that train operators first have to start as a flagger, overseeing the safety of crews on active tracks. Carter says there's no set amount of time they have to work as a flagger. It's more of a question of getting them trained as an operator. 
operator and a job becoming available. Now, all this comes as the agency is trying to draw back passengers and, of course, the revenue that they bring. Uh, ridership last year was still 60% of pre-pandemic levels, and passenger revenue was off more than $250 million from what the CTA took in during 2019. And, uh, Nick, how are they going to make up that gap? Well, the agency still has federal COVID relief money. That's expected to last through the end of next year or into 2026, probably. But Carter says the magnitude of the problem means he can't come up with an easy solution himself. The impact of a you know, $700 million gap in our budget is basically completely devastating. Um, uh, I don't believe personally we're going to get to that point where that will become a reality for what we need to deal with. But we certainly need to figure out what the solution is going to be. To that end, the CTA, Metra, PACE, the RTA, lots of other stakeholders, they've been in conversations with state lawmakers. There's a proposal for up to a billion and a half dollars in new transit funding. Carter says right now the CTA has more so been working to educate lawmakers about transit needs, but that it hasn't thrown its weight behind any specific sources of revenue yet. Now, today's hearing also had an extended public comment period where Carter heard from many upset transit advocates and passengers, many of whom would like to see him out of a job. He also pushed back against some of their critiques. Here's one commenter and Carter's response to a question later on in the hearing. I know that you don't like that your reputation has been smeared like this. I know that this is not something that you enjoy. And what I want to tell you is that for four years, Chicagoans have not been enjoying this either. We don't just look at spreadsheets. We also ride our system, and I dare say we know our system better than most people who criticize us. And Carter's comment there certainly drew some jeers from folks in the gallery, as you can imagine, Paris. Uh, the next hearing will come in spring or early summer, but no later than June 30th. Nick, I would imagine that those that ride the system regularly know the system pretty well, too. One would <laughs> presume, but certainly some expertise at the CTA as well. Sure. Okay. Nick Blumberg, thanks very much. And you can read Nick's full story on our website. It's all at WTTW.com news. Police disciplinary hearings are set to resume despite pushback. Meanwhile, the Bring Chicago Home ballot measure faces new questions. This is Mayor Brandon Johnson receives criticism over his administration's perceived lack of transparency. And here with all that and more is our Spotlight Politics team, Amanda Vinicky and Heather Sharon. Always good to see both of you. And I see you every day at work anyway. Uh, so, uh, you know, Amanda, you heard the lawmakers here. You heard the governor. Uh, is there going to be some deal by the end of session? Or are they going to say, Jerry, those are some beautiful plans, but build the dang thing yourself? You know, I've been talking to everybody about this. It was interesting to be at the Capitol when Reinsdorf made that visit. I had somewhat joked that it was as if we had a visit from King Charles. I mean, you, the, the Capitol was just awash and people commenting about this. And I think in part that's because this attracts so much attention from the public. That's in part why I predict there won't be much because people just don't want their taxpayer dollars to go to any sort of subsidy to essentially billionaires. I mean, there's just frustration about that. That said, could there be some sort of deal worked out? Sure. It is likely, if so, that it'd be mixed in with something else. It's not going to be just doling out dollars. Yeah. And it would be part of some other package. It'd be tucked in there. Um, and we would also have to see, I think, perhaps a change in strategy. It was, I thought, sort of... Um, 
foolhardy for Reinsdorf to come down, make this request the yeah. day before a budget that lays out how little money the state has. And the Bears also, with their initial also, ask, clearly flawed. Well, so, but if the Bears then, like, come out and ask for far less public money after Reinsdorf went and did this, the Bears are, maybe this is all kind of There's a lot three-dimensional of theory chess here. Some folks think that, is this um, Reinsdorf just asking for the money so that he can say, hey, I tried, and then off to Nashville? Mm. I mean, the theories abound. Remember, yeah, remember St. Petersburg from 30 years ago. Okay, uh, Heather, so you did an analysis found the city spent $74 million in taxpayer funds to pay for police misconduct settlements last year. So, you know, we have these numbers every year. How, did this, how does this compare to other years? So this is on par with recent years on average, but it is significantly less than the last two years. And I think I know why. What was 2023? An election year. So that meant that perhaps former Mayor Lightfoot was reluctant to put big dollar settlements to the city council. And then once Mayor Brandon Johnson took over, it took him a little while to get his legal team in place. And that meant there was just sort of a slower process. So in each of the past two years, the city has spent close to $95 million on police misconduct settlements. And as I keep writing, there's really no ability for the city to track the officers involved in these lawsuits, ensure that they either face discipline or retraining or somehow held accountable for this misconduct which is costing the city so much money. So we've all been talking about Bring Chicago Home. That would raise about $100 million annually, which is essentially what the city pays for police misconduct. And it's very frustrating for many Chicagoans to see this money come right off the top of the city budget. Significantly more now than half a billion dollars over the last yes. uh, so many years. All right, uh, speaking of discipline, so a Cook County judge says uh, the police disciplinary proceedings can go uh, before the police board again. They can resume before the police board Amid all this legal question about whether this could be handled through closed-door arbitration, take us behind this decision. Well, essentially, the judge in the case said, look, I'm prepared to issue a ruling on the merits of this case on March 20th, which is just a couple weeks away. So he allowed the police board essentially to resume operations, which could mean sort of releasing decisions that have already been reached and sort of scheduling procedural things. Now, there are no full formal police hearings scheduled before that date. So we're still in sort of a wait and see mode. That will be a crucial day for the city to learn whether their challenge of this sort of order that could upend the police disciplinary system will be allowed to go forward. All right. At this point, the real estate groups have successfully sued the Board of Elections, which is a strange party to sue, and not the city of Chicago, but the Board of Elections to remove the measure known as Bring Chicago Home from the primary ballot, as Heather just mentioned. It raises that money, a higher percentage of uh, real estate transfer tax uh, from million-dollar and million-and-a-half-dollar homes so and businesses and, the, and, businesses. and, and the judge uh, strikes it down. It's not it's uh, it's not legal. Did the mayor perhaps not have all his ducks in a row here in, in putting this ballot on the question uh, with this decision now that like it's not legal? I mean, you would think that the ducks would be very much in a row because this isn't a new idea. This isn't some quick, oh, hurry, get it on the ballot. This was a campaign promise. This was something that has been talked about for literally years. Um, I don't know if this is the result of some really smart and good lawyering from the other side, which could very well be part of it, or if, uh, as Heather attested, um, even though this has been around for a long time, a, a legal team that is fresher. Uh, it is interesting, as you noted, that the city not being allowed to intervene because essentially you have the Board of Elections 
fighting a fight that they don't want to be in. They just print the ballots and they, they run say, the elections. Yes, exactly. So it's the city that came up with the policy, as we mentioned before. But Heather, I mean, this notion that it's log rolling and the, because they decided to lower, you know, the tax on uh, properties under a million. Again, sh sh should the mayor have, did they miss something here? Well, so there has never been a binding citywide referendum in modern Chicago history. So everybody's flying blind here. The last time anything like this happened, it was 1885, and it created the Chicago Board of Election Commissioners. So we are in uncharted territory. So I think there are a couple of things at work here. So yes, you can only ask one question at a time. That's established sort of state sort of ballot question law. But does that apply to the city? And is this really three separate questions or is it one question that says, can we make these changes to the real estate transfer tax? And that ultimately is what an appeals court is going to be asked to decide now today by the Board of Election Commissioners, which is hoping the appellate court will say, yeah, you're right, you shouldn't have been in this at all. And they will allow the city to sort of argue that they that this ballot measure is proper in the first place. Regardless, it is going to be early voting has already begun. Yeah, Whatever the, result you ballot. get, it's, it's not right. going to be a true Amanda result. Amanda Vinicky, Heather Strong, we'll see what happens in, in this ever-confusing saga. <laughs> Thank you both. And that is our show for this Tuesday night. Don't forget to stay connected with us by signing up for our daily briefing. And you can get Chicago Tonight streamed on Facebook, YouTube, and our website, wttw.com slash news. You can also get the show via podcast in the PBS video app. And join us tomorrow night at 5.30 and 10 for Chicago Tonight Black Voices. And on that show, a new documentary explores racial disparities in childbirth. And Chicago poet Jay Ivey joins us to talk about his latest Grammy win. Now, for all of us here at Chicago Tonight, I'm Paris Schutz. Thank you for watching. Stay safe out there if that weather hits. Have a great evening. Closed captioning is made possible by Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a Chicago personal injury and wrongful death firm that supports free educational initiatives in the legal profession.